Father, it's with great anticipation that we reach for our Bibles now and open them, and we desire so to hear a word from you. Thank you for this living word. Thank you for the authority of it. And Father, our prayer is exactly that, that you would teach us your ways through the word, that we would have vision and light and hope and salvation in such a lost and needy world. Strengthen us through your word now, Lord. Uh, Allow your Holy Spirit to accomplish his purposes in us as we sit quietly and we receive from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, why don't you help me finish our sermon title? Ready? Liar, liar, pants on fire, nose is longer than a telephone wire. You don't know that? Oh. And I would say this morning, as I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 20 in your Bibles, that this message today is so relevant and that we live in a culture of people with long-growing noses. Penn State University, Notre Dame football, the greatest hitters, pitchers, and fielders of Major League Baseball, golf's most familiar faces and stars, the greatest biker in Tour de France history, those who occupy the Oval Office, our news media almost carte blanche, highest ranking generals in our military, and the list goes on and on. It is not easy to build, it is not difficult to build a case that we live in a culture of liars. This morning, as we return to our Ten Commandments study, I don't need to defend the relevancy of this study, even though it was written over 4,000 years ago. God has spoken via Moses. We receive a word, and his word for us this morning is Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Let's read the foundation of our message today. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. ESV says it. Let's read it out of our list from the NIV. Together, you shall not... Nope, let's go with uh, our number nine. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Today, we're talking about telling the truth. We're talking about bearing a witness or a testimony that is true in the context of the passage. As it states, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you get the idea in the passage that it's the idea of one who is disputing a case and he has to draw on witnesses and they are under oath. Some people argue that that is exactly and only what this passage is teaching. And I would say that I can prove to you in a few minutes that it is the heart of God that truthfulness characterize all of our speech. Perhaps at some level, as God gives this part of the Ten Commandments, and certainly he is concerned about an orderly society, where where can a society be without truth? We fly apart. If you don't know who's speaking the truth, and you can't have a system whereby we determine what is truth, society falls apart. 
We know from our study that what we've been talking about in the Ten Commandments is a list that teaches us how to love the Lord our God with all our heart. And the first half has that vertical relationship particularly in mind that we love the Lord our God and so forth. We'll repeat them in just a minute. The second half then, talking about these, these horizontal relationships how it is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. This is a good time for us to review where we've been this summer. Already commandment number nine in our Ten Commandments series. Let's start at the top, shall we? And let's say them together. Ready? Commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. Number three. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Number four. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. And number nine for today, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This whole aspect of truth-telling, and I remind you that it, along with the other dynamics on this list, have everything to do with the character of God. It springs out of the truthfulness of the nature of God, and we'll see that in a minute. But interestingly enough, isn't it, that we find ourselves spinning the truth. We find ourselves bearing false witness. We, t- we find ourselves tainting and, and misleading and misdirecting. It's easy to do, isn't it? Sometimes it's even handy, kind of like the little boy whose mother was working with him and she looked down at her little boy and she said, now honey, what is a lie? And the little boy looked up at his mommy and he said, he said, a lie is an abomination, but a very present help in a time of need. (laughs) That's sometimes how we think, isn't it? Well, this morning I... I have to tell you that it, it is so relevant, this message. We, we see it across the board in media, in sports scandals, in the lives of celebrities who are found out to be lying and to be a hollow shell in referencing those in political power and, and uh, so many different ways, covering the truth, spinning the truth, outright, bold-faced, lying. Who do you believe? How do we believe? And interestingly enough, this is such an important message, and particularly young people, listen. We live now in a time and an era where we are well into the postmodern era, a time when, when truth is said to be, fill in the word with me, relative. Truth is relative. What is it? You cannot determine truth. Nobody can really know what is truth. Truth for you might not be truth for me. And as a result, people do not speak the truth or value the truth or honor truth-telling. We have it in our mind that as long as I believe it, it's true. No, truth is truth. Truth is concrete. Truth is stable. Truth is absolute. Truth is not fluid. Truth is not subjective to my emotional framework. Truth is not subjective to my ideas of circumstances. There is reality and that is it. And it stems from the very nature of the fact that God is truth. And so I think it's so important this morning... As we look into the reality of why God gave us this instruction and how important it is that we do, uh, that what we want to do this morning is I want to give you five principles or five statements that should help us cut through the murky waters of relativism. 
I want to give you five statements that, that should, should clarify and crystallize our understanding of what is truth and why there is a reality of truth and why it's important and why it, matter, why it matters. And the first of those is taken right from our text, and we've seen this similarly in other messages from our Ten Commandments. Statement number one that clarifies truth for us and helps us understand the importance of this topic is simply, number one, that God speaks clearly. God speaks clearly and to the point. I mean, how do you misunderstand this? Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, the ESV puts it. I mean, I understand and recognize and we acknowledge that parts of the Bible are difficult to grasp and understand. But you will not be able to stand before God someday and say, Oh, I just didn't understand that part of it. It's as clear as clear can be. And we've emphasized that before. But if you think and you want to categorize and you want to do what is so popular nowadays and you want to, you want to rearrange uh, the meaning of Scripture and you want to bring in uh, your own insights and say, well, this means this and it doesn't mean that. And if you're not under oath in a courtroom, that's what this is talking about. And so my daily speech, uh, it's a lot more relative than what God is talking about here, that if you're under oath and you are a witness to your neighbor in a crime or in clarifying a case in a courtroom, then you have to tell the truth. And he even gives other uh, references in our Old Testament when God spoke to Israel and gave them an arrangement of how you could only bear a testimony against somebody under two or more witnesses. And that's what this is talking about. Well, then let's see if we can can clarify what the mind of God was. And I want to show you that God's God's word speaks so clearly to this point. I want you to do some Bible study with me on our first point, so get ready to turn in your Bibles. And let's begin by flipping a few pages to the other book of the Pentateuch written by Moses, one of the others, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 11. Take a look at Leviticus 19.11. In case you're skeptical and you think that, that God doesn't mean what He says in Exodus 20.16 or if it doesn't apply to you, let's, let's just do a little Bible study here. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 11 God is clarifying the details to his people Israel under Levitical law on the outworking of what the behavior of a holy people would look like. That's based on the holiness of God. Holiness is sinlessness. All of this springs out of the character of God. So as we look up these verses, you will see that the very nature of God is is the outflow of this instruction to his people. Now, you need to understand that as God is holy, that is sinless, so he lays down law or instruction, imperatives, so that we live in such a way that we can please a holy God. We would not do that naturally on our own. Our hearts are deceitful and above all things, desperately wicked. And so God is a holy God, and, but God has other attributes, these characteristics that define God. And something you need to keep in mind is that one of the attributes of God is that He is truth. And so out of that attribute, out of that characteristic, the truthfulness of God springs the instruction that He expects His people to walk in the truth and to understand the truth and to speak the truth. Now you need to understand when we talk about God's attributes... That it's not like that God likes the truth or that God prefers the truth 
or that God has a part of himself, sort of one stripe of God is truth. All of the attributes of God, God possesses completely and entirely all of the time. So it's accurate to say that God is always, 100% of the time, 100% truth. He is never not truth. In the same way that he, any other attribute, his presence, for example, he's omnipresent. God is always everywhere present all the time. He's never not somewhere. And that's the way it is with all of his attributes, love and mercy and grace. Some of his attributes balance themselves out. God is 100% love. He cannot be loving. He's always loving. He can, he cannot be unloving. Let me correct myself. He is always all love. And at the same time, God is a God of judgment or a God of wrath. He's always those things. But they balance each other out. And so his behavior is always right and just and correct. And he's always all truth. Get get that in your head a little bit because we sometimes think, oh, God was just kind of thinking of something to write down. And and he wrote down, oh, it's a good idea to tell the truth. Yeah, make sure you tell the truth. Don't cheat on your homework either. No, God is a God of truth. That is who he is. And out of that springs this instruction. Notice of Leviticus 19.11, you should be there. And so as he gives these instructions on how to live a holy life before him, he says, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. Look at you shall not lie to one another. I take it that means in our conversation and in our interaction at all times, not just when we're under oath somewhere. You shall not lie to one another. What's difficult about that? Not the understanding of it, that's for sure. Take a look at Psalm 101, verse 7, if you're not yet convinced. Look at Psalm 101, verse 7. 101, verse 7. If you take your Bible and open it right down the middle, it is likely it will open in the book of Psalms. It is a book of song texts without music is what it is. And so you're reading poetry, really, most of it by the, by the psalmist David, as is Psalm 101. And look at verse 7. Look what David wrote in a song one day about God. No one who practices deceit, Psalm 101, 7. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters, say the word with me, lies shall continue before my eyes. I have to believe that God's not kidding around with this stuff. That he really means what he says. Flip over to the book of wisdom, Proverbs, and look at one of the strongest statements that we have on this matter of truth-telling. Proverbs chapter 6, begin with verse 16. Take a look. And let's read through verse 19. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Look what he says. There are six things that the Lord hates. Did you get that? Six things that God hates And it is pure and righteous for him to despise these things. Seven that are an abomination to him. That's simply a a Hebrew writing technique for emphasis. There's six things God hates. Yea, seven are an abomination. In other words, this is a really important list of the things God hates. Haughty eyes. What's the next one? Together. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. What's the next one? A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among the brothers. You want to know some things that God hates, that, is, that God will not tolerate. 
And high on his list, repeated more than any other one thing, repeated three times, is this emphasis on truth or not accepting lies. Flip the page, a couple pages to Proverbs 12, verse 22, as we continue our Bible study here. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22, look what he says. Lying lips are an abomination, the ESV uses the word abomination, they're just, it's disgraceful, it's despicable to God. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. It's a good word, isn't it? What a good reminder. You know, I think it's interesting and it's easy to find, so let's, let's skip over literally dozens of other passages we could look at this morning to proof text that God hates lies And that we are to tell the truth and he expects his people to dwell in the truth and in the realm of truth is where we are to be. But let's go to the very end of the book and let me show you two other passages that are very powerful. The book of Revelation chapter 21 and look down at verse 8. Revelation chapter 21 and God is giving a list of people who will surely experience the second death. That is, they will be condemned to the eternal lake of fire forever and ever. They are not in Christ. They they do not have any righteousness of Christ with which to defend themselves before a holy God. These people have not been to the cross in humility. These people have not admitted their sinfulness. These people have not gone to God and, and admitted to God their helplessness and their hopelessness and their inability to, to prove righteousness. They have not ad, in, admitted that. And they haven't been to the cross to lay down their burden of sin and in all humility to receive from God once and for all through the work and finished work of Christ on the cross that you can have his righteousness, you can give away your sinfulness, receive his righteousness, be declared spiritually well again, be declared spiritually whole in the eyes of a holy God so that one day at your death when you stand before a holy God and he looks at you and says, why should I let you into my heaven. You don't have to hum and haw and talk about helping little old ladies across the street and putting money in the offering plate or counting beads on a string. You can look to God and you can say, I don't deserve your heaven, but I want to tell you that one afternoon I was so overwhelmed by my sinfulness that I bowed my head and my heart before the cross and I recognized that only the blood of Jesus Christ could cleanse a wicked sinner like me. And I traded in my sinfulness for his righteousness. And so God, when you look at me, if you don't see the righteousness of Christ, I don't get in. But God will see the righteousness of Christ because he promised it and the Holy Spirit will seal you and he will make you his child and you're born again and you're a new creation in Christ. What a tremendous reality. He is a pardoning God full of grace and mercy. The people on this list have never been there. They've never humbled their hearts. And notice what he says. But as, verse 8, Revelation 20, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murders, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and what's the next phrase? And all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Bam! Look, let your eyes glance across the page or flip the page to Revelation 22 and verse 15. Let's begin with verse 14 as he reminds us in 22, 14, 
Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Liar, liar, pants on fire, nose is longer than a telephone wire. What are people thinking? Why do people think they can just get away with it? God is watching. God is recording. We stand, Hebrews chapter 4 says, that we stand wide open and as if we are naked before him to whom we must give an account. You think God doesn't care about this stuff? You couldn't think further from the truth. Point number one, statement number one, that cuts through the murky waters of the relativistic, pluralistic, postmodern mindset that we have today, that there is no reality of truth and that truth doesn't matter, is that God speaks clearly. He has spoken And he's told us that he cares. Point number two this morning, let's move on. And I won't make you do Bible study with me, but you listen. If you're taking notes, and boys and girls that have been taking notes have been doing a great job. A bunch of them are getting camp t-shirts. Keep it up. Keep doing it. Uh, Point number two is God loves accuracy. God loves accuracy. This is an interesting characteristic of God. That God is a God of order. That God cares about detail. God is not a slob. God is not a good enough God. Oh, that's good enough. God is a God of beauty and order and preservation and restoration and beauty. And out of that, you see out of his character a love for accuracy, even a demand for accuracy. Let me show you what I mean. This this characteristic that springs from the very heart of God. You can write down these verses if you want. You don't have to turn there. Let me just tell you the the key phrase out of each of these verses. You could look at Numbers 23.19. Numbers 23.19. And it says there that God is not a man that he should lie. God is not a man that he should lie. In other words, people have a problem with telling the truth. We're going to see that and I'm going to demonstrate that to you in a minute. But God isn't like that. God is not sloppy. God is not careless. God is very accurate, and he's not a man that he should lie. In other words, he's God, and he always tells the truth. The second thing I want you to see is from Isaiah 65, 16. Isaiah 65, 16, and there it says that he is the the God of truth. He's a God of truth, not a God of sort of true. Not a God of spin. He's the God of truth. Titus chapter 1 in our New Testament. And this again is certainly one of the Ten Commandments that clearly is easy to demonstrate is repeated and taught for the church in the New Testament. This Ten Commandment, you would would say, oh, it's 4,000 years old. That's Old Testament. We don't do that. No, we do it. We even are called to a higher standard in the New Testament. And this is repeated regularly. And Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says, He who provides this great salvation for us, and he is a God who never lies. He's a God who never lies. Hebrews 16, 8, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 says that it is impossible 
for God to lie. Impossible for God to lie. Isn't that interesting? This this truth that bubbles out of God's character and defines God as a God who is not scattered. He didn't forget something and and say something and then not follow through or uh, have a good intention. He's a God of precision. He's a God of truth. Statement number one, cutting through the murky waters of relativism, is that God speaks clearly. Number two, God loves accuracy. I want you to turn now in your Bibles again with me to one passage, John's Gospel in chapter 8. John's Gospel in chapter 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the beloved, in his Gospel account, chapter 8, verse 42. I want you to see something that is very powerful and that when I want you, I want to make a statement that will hit us right between the eyes, not literally, but is a, a profound reality. John's Gospel, chapter 8, look at verse 42. You need to understand in the context here that Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious, pious, righteous, self-righteous people of the day. They ruled the, the religious world and even had high influence on the political world of the day. They did not believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. They, they thought that they had the corner on truth. They were not humble. They were proud and arrogant. And you know that God brings down the pride, proud, but he elevates the humble. The only people who ever make it to God are humble people. People who are willing to bow their heads and humble their hearts and admit their sinfulness. Pharisees never admitted they were wrong. Pharisees always boasted about how right they were and how wrong everyone else is. And if you find yourself in, a, in this kind of a mindset, well, at least I'm not like that guy. I would never do what that girl did. You are well on your way of being a Pharisee, a self-righteousness that elevates yourself above other people rather than breaks you down and humbles your heart and you recognize apart from the grace of God there. I would be. Jesus is talking to them and he's doing some real relationship building with them, some real friendship evangelism here. Notice what he says. John chapter 8, verse, we'll just jump in on verse 42. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. See, they didn't love Jesus. They didn't care about him. They wanted to kill him because he said he was God. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not, verse 43, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You ever been around people like that? That cannot bear to hear the word of God. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. How's that for an evangelism technique, huh? Let's go have coffee. Let's build a friendship. Let's get it. Let's just get together and do a little, little, little you know, um, fly rod fishing or something. And then when I get to know this guy and build a friendship, I'm going to share Christ with him. Christ with him. And Jesus looks at him and says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Hence, parenthetically, if you are of your father, the devil, and there's no truth in him and that's who you are, then there's no truth in you, Jesus is saying. I don't think they like this. And he says, because there's no truth in him. And now look at this phrase. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. 
So God is all truth. Satan is all lies. And it springs from their very, his very broken character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. The NIV 1984 translates really well. It says, when, when Satan speaks, he speaks in lies and that's his native language. It's his mother tongue when he speaks and it's lies. You know when he's lying, when his mouth is moving. We know people like that. Here's my statement that I want to make. You are never more like Satan than when you lie. You are never more like Satan than when you lie. That is a sobering reality, isn't it? How lightly we take things. How easily we, we float across the truth. How easily we put spin on it and, and elevate ourselves with our words and put other people down with our words, with truths and half-truths and bad information. That leads us to point four, and it is this. As we seek to find clarity here this morning on this topic... Point number four is that people lie regularly. L-I-E, regularly. God speaks clearly to the point. God loves accuracy. Satan lies boldly. Did I give that out on point three? Satan lies boldly. Point number four, people lie regularly. I want to go very quickly, and it will be very quickly. I want to give you nine areas of our speech in which we regularly violate the, sixth, the ninth commandment, verse 16 of chapter 20. Let me click them off for you. Number one, flattery. Flattery. Do you know what flattery is? Flattery is when I tell you something you want to hear that I don't really believe. In fact, I might have just been telling someone else how much I agree with them about the very opposite thing that I tell you to your face just to flatter you because I want you to feel good somehow or to, for some reason it's to my advantage for you to think that I like you. If you're telling someone something that you don't really believe, then your words are not true. If your words are not true, it is a lie. Flattery. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates its victims, and, f- and a flattering mouth works ruin. Proverbs 26, 28. Number two, gossip. I don't have to explain, expand on this very much, do I? This is taking re- and repeating rumors, hearsay, possibly some facts, most often sensationalizing them and repeating them to someone else. Rarely to the benefit of the person about whom you're talking. And almost always in gossip, we are repeating something that is not accurate completely. Or it's an overstatement. Or we don't like it and so we repeat it. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 28 says, A gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 16 28. Number three, slander, closely related to gossip, only with malicious intent in our words. Slander is using words in which I purposely want to harm the character of another person. Slander is when I speak in such a way that I purposely want to hurt that person. So what do I do? I spin it, don't I? I bring out the worst It's a distorted view at best. It is outright, bold-faced lying at its worst. 
It was very difficult to slander someone without lying a little bit at least. How about boasting? Number four, there's a level of speech. We love ourselves. We love for other people to think the best of us. And we like to boast. But when we boast, we also distort the truth, don't we? And if we distort the truth, it means we're saying something that is outside of reality. It is beyond the truth. And if it's beyond the truth, it's no longer the truth. And if it's no longer the truth, it now is in the file cabinet of lies. Number five. Proverbs 27.2, by the way, Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Proverbs 27.2. Number five, how about frivolous oaths, frivolous oaths and promises. Frivolous oaths and frivolous promises. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Matthew 5.33, Jesus said, in the context there of the Sermon on the Mount, ultimately, let your yea be yea and your nay nay. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Uh, here's what I do. Oh, no, man, I can't have any cake right now. I'm on a diet this week. I'm only eating sweets on weekends. Four hours later, after mowing the lawn, I'm going through the McDonald's drive-in for three chocolate chip cookies and an icy tea, sweetie tea. Now, wait a minute. That was a pretty frivolous oath, wasn't it? But I kind of wanted them to think the best of me, and I had a good intention. I really was not going to eat sweets, but then I really thought I needed one. Frivolous oaths and empty promises. How about this one? And this one is a kicker. Oh, yeah, man, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you, yeah. Do you know how many times a day, every day, except maybe one day out of the week, I average people emailing or calling or passing by, asking me on my cell phone, Pastor Van, would you pray for me? Yeah, man, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. And then off you go. How important it is to at least stop. Put your head down and your hands in your face and intercede in Jesus' name for that person asking God to take over. Enter in. I'll be praying for you. If you don't write it down, where is it? It's gone. And, and a frivolous, empty oath or promise. We didn't plan it that way. We didn't mean for it to be that way. We didn't wake up in the morning and say, how can I lie today? Who can I tell something to to misdirect the truth? It's one of those things that, kind of like last week on stealing, when we talked about shoplifters, almost no one wakes up in the morning and decides to be a shoplifter. The percentage is somewhere up like a 90 couple percent of people who steal do it spontaneously. It's the same thing with our words and our lying. I didn't mean to do it. It just happens. It's kind of like the lady that was going to years ago, back in the days when kids traveled on trains to get somewhere with their parents. They didn't charge for kids who were five and under. And so this six-year-old little guy and his, was told by his mother as they were hurrying and carrying their bags to the train, Mama looks down and says, here it is. He didn't mean it. They didn't plan it. See the sign at the train station? Five and under are free. Uh, uh, we're, gotta get, tell them you're five. The little boy frowned and he got on the train and sat down. And the conductor came by and said, how old are you, son? And he says, uh, five. So he didn't pay anything, and his mother paid her fare, and the conductor left. The conductor came back a couple hours later on their journey just to talk to the young man, rubbed his hand in the little feller's hair, and said, Well, how are you getting along? The boy answered, Really good. And the conductor continued their chat and said, So let's see, when are you going to be six? And the little boy hummed and hawed and thought for a minute, and he said, 
about the time I get off this train. (laughs) Didn't mean to do it. Didn't plan it. Frivolous promises. Frivolous speech, right? Carelessness is closely related. That's number six. Just being careless and forgetting. Carelessness and maybe number five and number six are the same thing. I was thinking in terms of young people, especially on carelessness. How about this one? Oh, yeah, mom, I'll make my bed. Just a minute. Twelve hours later, they're crawling in it and it's never been made. Carelessness. We don't mean not to speak the truth. How about technicalities? Technicalities. True words, but portraying a false message. On a technicality. This is the story I've told before of the seminarian who's in, in, in studying God's word in seminary and he's overwhelmed and he can't get ready for this major, major exam. And, and so he says to his wife, call the prof, tell him I can't make it to class. He runs to the freezer, grabs a frozen pack of fish, runs back to the bedroom, lies down, starts tossing the frozen fish up in the air. His wife gets on the phone with the prof and says, I'm really sorry, Joe can't make it to class today. He's in bed throwing up his supper. You'll get it. (laughs) Technicalities. Lying in bed with a frozen chunk of fish thrown up in the air. About only a half of you are still like, what in the world did... (laughs) Maybe this one will help. (laughs) And let me make a quick statement in a a parenthesis. And I know we must wrap up. My my brother-in-law today... At this very hour, probably, they are done with their little second service at the Covington Bible Church in Covington, Virginia. There's very few people who have impacted my life more significantly and more positively uh, for ministry and all areas than my brother-in-law, Howard Merrill. He's exactly 10 years older than I, uh, essentially 10 years older than I. Let's be precise here. (laughs) He was not born on September 2nd, but I'm 52 and he's 62. It makes our sentences longer if we're not going (laughs) to. Accuracy. God is precise. He's virtually the same age. Let's work on our vocabulary here. Today, the Covington Bible Church is going to honor Howard, married to my oldest sister, for 40 years of faithful service in their little church in Covington, Virginia. I praise God for Howard. And I trust they have a wonderful day. I'm panging a little bit not to be there as a part of that day. I didn't find out about it soon enough. Um, that it was going to happen, or I would have scheduled Sean Patrick to preach today. And uh, you'd have had just as good of time. My brother-in-law loves boats, and he has a ski boat. It's his third one. Painted on the side of this boat is the same name that he's given all of his boats, and he does it as a joke. This one is Visitation 3. He names his ski boats Visitation so that when someone calls the house and speaks to my sister, she can say, oh, I'm sorry, the pastor's out on visitation. And she's not lying. Now, he does that as a joke, and he loves to tell that story. That's what I mean. Throwing up the fish didn't work here. This first, first service got it. That's technicalities. Speaking on technicalities, I have a 15-year-old son, and he loves this point. You didn't study for this exam. Oh, yes, I did. No, you didn't. I didn't see you only had your books open for 30 seconds, but I studied for 30 seconds, so don't say I didn't study. Technicalities. Number eight is exaggeration. How many of you go fishing? You're all a bunch of, you know what I mean. 
exaggeration number nine, closely related probably with number seven on technicalities, is the redefinition of terms. And haven't we had this demonstrated on our televisions and on our internet over and over and over again? I had no previous knowledge of this. Well, yeah, what I meant was when I was in seventh grade, previous to that, I had no knowledge of this. We have to decide what and means before we know whether or not I can speak to this point. No, I never had with that woman. The redefinition of words, being technical and then redefining words, and in my mind, it didn't mean that. And you know that you're doing it to spin it all. And you're now outside the realm of the church, the truth. You're a liar is what you are. And we're guilty, aren't we? Point number five is that Christians speak truthfully. Let me just read for you from Ephesians chapter 4. You can write down Ephesians 4, 21 to 25. And you can write down Colossians 3, 5 to 10. Let me read this quickly. And then we will be done. That's an exaggeration, but we'll... Ephesians chapter 4, 21 to 25, Paul's talking about what we were before we were saved, before we were in Christ, and what we are are after Christ. And he says, Assuming that you have heard about him, Christ, and were taught in him, Christ, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs in your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, therefore you will have put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor For we are members one with another. There it is, commandment number nine, repeated with absolute clarity in the New Testament, Ephesians 4.25, Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, the same thing. You used to be a liar. You used to be the kind of person who didn't care about truth. But you've been to the cross. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. You've been renewed. You are now a new creation in Christ. And you don't do that anymore. And so when we do... When we do, we revert back to our old ways. Similarly to our final point last week, point number five is that Christians speak truthfully. I'm talking about people who've been to the cross. I'm talking about people who have a new heart. Their sin is forgiven. The Holy Spirit is in them and the fruit of the Spirit of that righteousness comes out of them in the truth. God speaks clearly. God loves accuracy. Satan lies boldly. People lie regularly. And I've shown you nine ways that we do that. But Christians speak truthfully. Those are all true statements. And they define and help us cut through the murky waters of relativism. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Listen quietly as I read just three verses from God's Word. They're all prayers. The first is a prayer from Psalm 141, verse 3. And the psalmist prayed, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Will you pray that in the silence of your own heart today? Father, set a guard Lord, 
Keep watch over the door of my lips. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Oh, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you remove falsehood and lying from me? Back to the psalmist, 1914. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. I don't know if the Spirit of God is convicting you this morning in the area of your speech. Our speech really matters. And what's in the heart comes out the mouth. Would you deal with a particular area maybe that you struggle? 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Right now could be a new beginning for you. Maybe, maybe one needs to come to Christ today and you need to admit your sinfulness and be born again. Others of us in the church, we know Christ, we're born again, we're seated in the heavenly, sealed by the Holy Spirit, secure in the righteousness of Christ before a holy God declared righteous, but we still take on forms of lying. It's a residual of the old life. Get rid of it. Pastor Everett is going to be down front while we sing our closing hymn. And if you need to come and sit down and have a word of prayer and put a stake in the ground that you're going to put some of this stuff behind you, come meet with him. Would you do that? He'll be right down front. He'll be happy to meet with you. When people are up and leaving after the song is over, is a real easy time to come forward and have a word of prayer with him. And so, Father, work in our hearts and our minds and challenge us and convict us and show us how to live, that we would reflect the image of Christ, that we would reflect the character of God alone. Father, accomplish your purposes in us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.